You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time tuning in, thanks so much for joining. Excited to have you here. If you've been here since the beginning, welcome back. We're going to dive into some more spookiness in keeping with our theme from last week with Alexis Henderson. Today's episode is an interview I did with author Rachel Harrison, who wrote the stunning debut novel, The Return, a few years back. Her second novel was called Cackle, and she has a brand new book out called Such Sharp Teeth, which as Mallory O'Meara described it to me and completely sold me, Rachel Harrison wrote a werewolf book, and that was all I needed to know. She writes stories that are twisty and creepy and uncomfortable in the best possible way. And when you hear this discussion, it will make a lot more sense how she's able to write that way because her deep passion is for the Twilight Zone. In episode two of this podcast with Brad Meltzer, where we talked about the Muppets, he jokingly talked about how he has a shirt that says, I appreciate the Muppets on a much deeper level than you. That is Rachel with The Twilight Zone. She has an almost photographic memory of the episodes, and she remembers when she first saw them, when she first experienced watching them in bulk, when she used to watch them all throughout college. And you know, The Twilight Zone for a show, if people aren't familiar with it, it is extremely old, and it was extremely ahead of its time. It was popular in the time, but the reason that it remains you know, so influential now is because of the different stories it told and the underlying themes that each episode had. Rachel very much writes in the same way, and I think you're going to absolutely adore it. I love this conversation. Rachel is someone who, back when The Return came out, I think I was one of the first people who ever interviewed her for it. And she jokingly told me that she had listened to our, the previous podcast for a long time. And it was it was really fun. She jokingly said she felt like a fangirl. And now I am a total fanboy anytime I get to talk to Rachel. A complete delight. You're really going to love this uh, discussion. But first, I want to give you a book recommendation. I am currently reading a book called Witches by Brenda Lozano. And it is translated by Heather Cleary. I am loving this book. It came out in 2020, and it is a a short book. It's under 300 pages, and it weaves two parallel narratives. One of them is about Feliciana, who is an indigenous healer, and Zoe, who is a journalist telling her life story. The two women meet uh, after the murder of Feliciana's cousin, Paloma, and this is told from a small town in Mexico, where they deeply believe in these genuine healing capabilities of what we would consider witches, or as what they call curandaras. And in addition to that, Feliciana also happens to be a trans woman. And it's just the whole story is beautiful. Like I said, it's, it's told throughout Mexico and in the world. It's a really, really captivating novel. And it's just, it's so powerful. I'm really, really loving it. And the way that it's written is very unique. It takes a, a page or two to get into the the writing, but as soon as you do, it just, you forget that you're reading words and you just genuinely see the story in your mind. So that is, a, it's a beautiful book so far. I'm really loving it. That's Witches by Brenda Lozano, translated by Heather Cleary. As a reminder, if you're new or if you haven't done this yet, if you leave me a rating or review, 
send me a screenshot of that to passionsandprologues at gmail.com and let me know what you're currently reading. I will give you a customized book recommendation. Uh, As I talked about last week on Book Gang with Amy, the more that you review podcasts that you appreciate and, you know, tell other people, the better it is for us. Obviously, the more people that listen in, we are able to sustain creating these podcasts all on our own. So if you have enjoyed any of the conversations I have shared with you or any of the book recommendations over these last couple of weeks, I hope you'll consider just taking a moment to leave a review, share it on social media, share it with a friend, whatever it might be. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, You can always tag me on Instagram or TikTok at Passions and Prologues. Uh, yeah, I know I know you hear podcasters say this all the time, but it truly does help uh, help us kind of be able to keep doing this and, and spread the word. So, okay, that is all the housekeeping. You guys are in for an absolute treat. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rachel Harrison, author of Such Sharp Teeth, um, Passions and Prologues. I'm going to let you tell everybody, Rachel Harrison, what is the thing that you're super passionate about that we're going to dive into today? Today, we're going to talk about the Twilight Zone. Yeah, we are. (laughs) So I actually, I listened back to the interview that we did a long time ago for the Professional Book Nerds, the previous podcast I was on, and you briefly mentioned the Twilight Zone. So I was like, so there's a little more of this making sense to me now that I like listened back, but Tell our listeners, like, what, like, when did you first discover the Twilight Zone? So I was thinking back because it feels like it was just always a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think back to like what my earliest memory of watching it was. And I think I was about nine years old and I was on the couch with my mom and either she had brought up Eye of the Beholder and kind of explained it to me mm-hmm. or we turned on the TV and it was on. And then she kind of, I remember when I was watching it, I knew what was going to happen, which Mm -hmm. was almost worse because I was sitting there anticipating like the pig people as my Uh mother described them to me. But even knowing what the twist was, the amount of dread that I had and how I think, because I'd never seen something with such a brutal twist before. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'd seen, like when I was young, I saw Alien. I saw Jaws. I was exposed to like darker movies, genre mm-hmm. movies. But there was never like a big pull of the rug. And then yeah. just like leaving the character in like a bad spot or mm-hmm. an uncertain fate. And so that melted my adolescent brain. Most of what I was consuming as a kid, you know, it's happy endings. Mm-hmm. Like I, in Fern Gully, they, you know, Hexus is vanquished. It's not like, but like in an episode of the Twilight Zone, like Hexus would win. And so to me, it was just like, it completely shifted how I viewed story. Mm-hmm. And that was a game changer. So after you watched that first one, because I remember you are famously afraid of everything, which is why you're a good horror writer. <laughs> after you watched that first episode, like, did you then proceed to continue watching Twilight Zones like by yourself or kind of after seeing that first one, how did you 
engage with this content, I guess, like after that initial introduction? This was probably around 2000, 2001. It's not Mm -hmm. like I had access to like, I could turn on Netflix and immediately watch them all. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that I had to like wait until the 4th of July marathon Mm -hmm. to watch more because that the next memory I have is watching during the 4th of July marathon. And the episode is, I think it's called the lateness of the hour where it's a daughter and she's like, her parents are there and her dad's like a brilliant inventor and they have like robot servants. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the episode, she figures out that she, she's like screaming, I'm a machine. And she's like banging her arms and saying no pain. So dark. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that was the next one I remember seeing. And it was definitely during the 4th of July marathon. Mm -hmm. It's probably a good thing that I couldn't (laughs) just like turn on Netflix and binge them all. Cause I'd probably be. (laughs) Yeah. That's not a show that much all at once. I did like sit for the marathon. And then from that time on every 4th of July and every new year's Eve, I would watch the marathons and the marathons are so great because you don't have a choice of what episode comes on. So you kind of, Um, like skip around in time and get what you get. And then when I went to college, my best friend was also a huge Twilight Zone fan. Mm -hmm. So we would like say random quotes to each other. And um, as I think I got like the box set of DVDs and then it came on Netflix. And so I'm pretty sure I still watch the marathons because it's just different. If you can stream them, then you kind of pick and choose. And I like the kind of, like surprise of being like, oh, this episode, even if it's not one of your favorites, but I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. Yeah. I know what you mean. mean though about like the, like the the marathon, because I, I'm a little bit older than you, but I, 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 so I remember growing up when I was like, same thing, like nine or 10. And I had this uh, best friend, Kurt, who lived like right down the street from me. And so we, our parents were, our, our moms were both teachers at the same school. And like, they definitely let us like Sunday nights we would do sleepovers when like normally that would just, you know, kids wouldn't do that type of thing, but like we would have sleepovers all the time. And like they had a basement and a really small, I want to say it was like a 12 or 14 inch TV. And it would, because we were in the basement and we are you know, you're nine or 10, it's that time of life when you feel like when you're watching something, you're like getting away with it. Like you shouldn't be watching it. And so like every Friday the 13th, for example, like I remember like there would be those marathons of like the Friday the 13th movies and, like you said, you would just kind of watch what came on. But I do specifically remember Twilight Zone episodes coming out when it was like, you know, two in the morning when you're, <laughs> 10, when you're 10 years old and shouldn't be awake. And watching this like creepy black and white, like out of time show and feeling like I was like getting away with something. How am I watching this thing? And then like, like you said, not having a choice in what I was watching, but then having my little mind just explode from what I was watching. Like, was that something where obviously you watched the first one with your mom, but like, was it something that your parents were like, yeah, go ahead and and watch it. Or what did you have that same feeling of like, I shouldn't be doing this. No, my mom was pretty kind of like, watch what you want, especially when it came to like genre stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, like I saw Jaws and Alien very young and she, I'm grateful that she exposed me to these things young But I think also something about Twilight Zone is because it's black and white and it's an older show, like there's no profanity. There's no like it Mm -hmm. seems a little more innocent 
I felt more like like an artiste, like yeah. I'm watching this like old black and white thing, like being young and being like, you know, I'm doing like I'm not melting my brain with cartoons. I'm melting my brain with Rod Serling. Well, and what's so interesting about that is like as doing some research on this because I remembered like as soon as you told me like, hey, do you want to talk about the Twilight Zone? I remember like I, I looked up some research because I was trying to think about. I was like, there's something that's stuck in my mind about Rod Sterling, Sterling being like really forward thinking about like societal stuff. And there's actually this like pretty famous interview now where when he's just launching the Twilight Zone and the person who's interviewing them, I don't remember who it is, but they were like talking down about this idea of this show because it was this like genre science fiction fantasy thing. And they were like, well, you know, you're no longer writing serious like teleplays like he was doing. And like there's Rod Serling has like this look on his face, like just wait. And because he talks about like racism and like McCarthyism and like all these different things that you wouldn't think would be on TV in like the fifties when it, when the show came out and like he tried multiple times like he to put in like stories about Emmett Till being wrongfully murdered, like into stories of the Twilight Zone, but he was able to do it in a way that, like you said, it's like, there's no swearing. There's no, like, it was so masked with like the fantasy and sci-fi that he was able to kind of like shine a light on stuff, but in a way that was on TV then, like there's some stuff that I'm even surprised. Like, I feel like even now people wouldn't come out as easily and blatantly be like, look at how racist this country is. And like, he kind of was able to do that. I don't know. I just, like, were those things that maybe when you're in college watching it, like, were you picking up on those things? Because I think at first I definitely wasn't when I was watching them as a kid. Yeah, I think it really opened my mind to genre because I think you can talk about things in genre mm-hmm. and confront things in genre. It become you can make it, more accessible because people are more willing to to watch something if it's genre and not really understand that they're picking up on certain mm-hmm. like important comments about society or humanity. I mean, Twilight Zone is really a show about our greatest fears and biggest hopes and humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of like people are alike all over with the human zoo. It's telling a very sad human story but like it's about aliens on another planet Mm -hmm. and so I don't know if when I was a kid I really picked up on how profound it was Mm -hmm. but I could definitely understand the bigger themes and then a little bit more so in college and just the things that I've read about Rod Serling over the years and being very just impressed with how ambitious he was and his integrity with mm-hmm. the show is really impressive. And I think as any artist to read about him and watch his interviews and to you know, witness that integrity is really, it's really something. Yeah. And like I said, the interview I was watching where they were kind of like mocking his, this concept of the show that he was going to create, it really makes me think a lot of writing like a first novel or creating a first album as a band or like, as someone who like personally, I just finished my first manuscript of a novel that I'm trying that I'm like starting the process of querying and everything. And it's like, I feel like a thing is only a crazy idea until it happens. And like, that's yeah. what I feel like with the Twilight Zone. Like it was something that was looked at as this, a crazy idea. And then he created it. And now you look like it's influenced God, countless things like off the top of my head, like, you know, like every in that Shyamalan movie, Black Mirror, um, 
Are You Afraid of the Dark from when I was a kid. Like yeah. all these things were basically versions of the Twilight Zone. And it was a show that only ran for five years, I think. Like the initial. Yeah. Run. And the initial run. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm like you. I just, I'm like blown away by his just sheer like interest. Cause like he wrote basically all of the episodes and he did like so much of the stuff. Like, it was very much his show. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't know, it, to me, like, I continue to be just, like, blown away by that. I remember we kind of talked about this in our last chat, which was a long, long time ago. It was for The Return. It was, like, two books ago at this point for you. But, you know, when you were watching it, like, how did The Twilight Zone influence you wanting to kind of become a writer and, like, your initial early works? I think I always wrote, I think The Twilight Zone kind of screwed me at the beginning because everything and because it was the twilight zone and the fact that I went to school for screenwriting because I when I started to write prose everything I wrote I wanted to be super high concept and have a big twist Mm -hmm. and if you're starting from that point I think you can shoot yourself in the foot a lot (laughs) I think it needs to start with what do I want this story to be about who are these characters and then if you can come up with a high concept to serve your char- your characters and the story you're trying to tell, that's great. And if there's a twist there, cool. But if you're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a big twist. I think it's hard to pull off, at least for, it was for me. I wasn't talented enough, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to start from that point. So I think it took me a while to find a good balance of having that inspiration of wanting because then the thing about the Twilight Zone that I really appreciate is how effective the setups are. Mm-hmm. Like within the first, you know, two, three minutes, you know the stakes, you know the characters, you know what's what's happening. And then the way the twist is executed at the end, you know, every episode essentially follows a formula, but they're not formulaic. Yeah. One is different. So that is something I really appreciate about the show. And I think taking like breaking down the show instead of being like, oh, it's like a big twist because the show is a lot more than that. And like we talked about, it always is trying to, every episode is trying to say something mm-hmm. about human nature, about you know humanity as a whole. And I think the reason the show works is because it has something to say, mm-hmm. not because, yes, it's a cookbook is the greatest <laughs> moment and it's amazing, but- you know, it's sooner or later, we'll all be on the menu. That's the takeaway from the episode. As I got older and as I wrote more and as I failed more, I think I could see it for what it was and have my inspiration from the show be a little bit more nuanced in how I incorporated Mm -hmm. it into my work. Because say, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that the return was super influenced by the Twilight Zone, but if it were, it might not be about female friendship in the mm-hmm. way that I had initially set out to write, it would have been about, well, she's not the same when she comes back. <laughs> like, yeah. I would be more focused on that. So it took me a while as a writer to kind of figure out how I wanted to say what I wanted to say. And, you know, that it was more important to have something to say than to just put something out there for shock value or um, entertainment, purely entertainment. Um, but I think the Twilight Zone more specifically like episodes I can see in my work mm-hmm. how influenced and particularly my short stories because for me in a novel I haven't really I 
marvel at thriller writers and people who are able to like pull off big twists, but um, in a novel, but that's not something I, I would even know how to approach. Um, that's not my wheelhouse. So, um, but in my shorter works, I think I'm able to kind of be like, okay, again, following the twilight zone, this is the setup and like, not necessarily maybe a big twist, but like, this is how I want it to end with this, mm-hmm. like, like really punchy moment. And to also not to leave maybe a little ambiguity in my novels in in novels in general, I think it's tough to leave ambiguity because you might leave the readers feeling unsatisfied, but in short fiction, you know, it's less of an investment for the reader. So if there is kind of a dark or ambiguous ending, I think it's a little bit easier to pull that off without having the reader feel like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, I listened to it's like the height of the pandemic. I watched a, a, a talk, um, Neil Gaiman and I think Marlon James were talking about short story writing. And one of them said like, you want to write a short story as if you're writing chapters 39 and 40 of a book, which I thought was interesting, but I like to think of it more as like, if there's 40 chapters in that book, a short story to me is more like chapters 38 and 39 because, and it, and that kind of makes me think of the Twilight Zone where it's like, there was a story before the like the screen shows us what's happening. Same thing with like a short story. Like there was a world, like it's like you're you're taking a quick peek into this world and then you're going to jump out of it. And like you said, like you can be a little bit ambiguous and be like, I wonder what happens next. But that's the point of a short story is like you're getting a small snippet where, yeah, like a novel and like, let's be honest, like if someone pays $28.95 for a novel or whatever it is, like especially if it's going to be a standalone, like I, it can feel like you're getting the rug pulled out from under you where if you're just like, wow, I really hope you enjoyed this buildup. Sorry, you're not going to get closure in this. It's like, I feel like a novel is more so all of those 40 chapters where you're telling the whole story, like you're telling a whole full complete story more often than not. Yeah, I think you're right. Like the Twilight Zone, it was, it was a 30, the balance of the shows were 30 minutes with commercials. So he had yeah. what, 23 minutes to tell a story where he had something to say and also was like pulling the rug out from under you in like such a way where you're like, holy shit what just happened, it's, you know, it's a little bit harder to do that over 400 pages of a novel, I think, because you, like you said, you do, like you have more space to play in, but you have more space to fill as well. Yeah, and if you're with a character for that many pages, if you Mm -hmm. don't know what happens to them, you're probably going to be a little pissed. (laughs) And a short story, if they, you leave them, and I mean, a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes were based on short fiction. Um, It's a good life, which I think is one of the scariest episodes. One, because creepy children are just in general, like, yeah, 10 out of 10 scary. And just the like, that like tension of like faking, like it's a good day or you're Mm -hmm. doing like that kind of, I think the story is also called It's a Good Life by Jerome Bixby. And that one sticks in my mind. One, because it's scary. Like the human Jack in the box is just probably the most terrifying thing ever. Um, But also because when I was writing Tackle, um, I was thinking of the episode and I went back and read the short story, which is also really wonderful um, because I wanted in Rowan, the town that Cackle is set in, mm-hmm. I wanted there to be that kind of Anthony Fremont vibe about Sophie where everyone's like, like nice to her, but like underneath that niceness, there's like a fear. Yeah. So that was, that was a direct influence and the episode worked as a, as a whole mm-hmm. and the story works as a whole. But I think if you dragged that out over, like if that story was a novel mm-hmm. 
or if that episode was a movie, I think it would have gotten old <laughs> to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, yes, Anthony, it's a good day. <laughs> like Just that would have like, gotten and so, over and over. And, and tackle it definitely had to be like, okay, this is an influence, but it can't be too much of that. Otherwise, I think it'd get a little bit obnoxious of just, golly gee, Sophie, everything's great. <laughs> Entirely unrelated, but I had to abandon a, um, a fantasy novel because the it was like a elvish, like fae type story, which I haven't read much of lately, but like the person kept calling the significant other in it their mate. <laughs> And they said the word mate over and over and like, my mate was doing this and I couldn't get away from my mate. And I finally was like, okay, this singular word. Yeah. So I'm going to drop this. This, and this is apropos of nothing, but it just made me think of that. real absolutely right. Like having something continuously that is a little grating. It's like you can do it in a short story or a, you know, an episode of Twilight Zone, but you can't have. It might not be sustainable. You have to, there's a careful balance of something yeah. being really effective and something like as soon as it's not effective anymore, it can make or break the work. Yeah. So it's a it's a delicate balance. And I mean, in my early attempts at writing, I think my writing definitely suffered because I was like too focused on the concept or the twist or like mm-hmm. that aspect of it. And yeah, it can easily fail if you go too heavy handed. We'll be back with more passions and prologues after this break. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And now, back to passions and prologues. So along those lines, where, for you, where does an origin of a story start then? Is it a concept of, and we'll get to your next book in a second here, but like, is it the concept of like, oh, you want to tell a werewolf story? Or like, for you, where does a story kind of start? Because with The Twilight Zone, and I'm guessing for Rod Sterling here, but I'm, I'm guessing he probably started with like, the thing he wanted to say about society write that story, then he'll find the twist. But like for you, where does, where does it start? See, it used to start just at concept and now it really starts where concept meets what I'm trying to say. I think it's again, more evident in my short fiction. I have a collection coming out this fall called Bad Dolls. And like in that collection, there's a story about a bad doll, very like talky Tina or the dummy (laughs) episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, Um, But it's about self-loathing and grief and loss. And there's a story, I guess it's probably easier for me to give an example about the first story in the collection, which is called Reply Hazy. And that origin story was, I was like, what if there was like a magic eight ball and like somebody was really indecisive about big decisions in their life? Because I can be very indecisive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, well, what if I had a magic eight ball and I asked this magic eight ball everything and like relied on this magic eight ball? And that's kind of where the origin of the story came. And for Such Sharp Teeth, I was thinking, I remember I was having a day where I was just like, it never gets easier to be in your body. 
Like there's never a time, like you go through puberty and you think like, you know, well, once you get through puberty and then like, there's always something in a body. Yeah. And I was also thinking a lot about womanhood and like, I remember being like, how come there's not more lady werewolf stories? Mm -hmm. Because once a month change, like it just seemed like having no control over your body. Yeah. It just seemed like I wanted to explore that. And that's kind of how it came about. It wasn't like the things kind of come hand in hand. If I have like a concept that comes to me, the, what the story is about kind of needs to come right with it. Mm -hmm. Or if I want to talk about something, the concept needs to be right behind it. If I just have a concept or if I'm just like, I want to vent about this thing, (laughs) like it (laughs) probably won't work. Mm -hmm. They need to come together at the same time. No, that that makes sense. And and I'm actually I'll have you an introduction to such sharp teeth, such sharp teeth. I'm getting I'm still getting back into the reps of doing podcasting and I definitely should have had you talk about the book as opposed to like the concept of it, but I'll let you let you do that now for people who might not have heard of it because as you know, as we're recording, the book isn't yet out. So people might not yes. be aware of it. It's strange because I I feel like at a certain point as an like before when the return came out and I would go on podcasts and they'd be like, what's the book about? I'd be like, good question. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> you write it, but you don't have that like pitch about it. And so I'm working before, on that right now for myself. Yeah. <laughs> before I went out with cackle, like before I started doing podcasts, I like wrote a little snippet and I haven't yet done that with just sharp teeth. So this might be a little mangled, but it's about, <laughs> Rory, who is 27 years old, she lives in New York City. She has a high-powered business job. She is free-spirited. She likes to party, likes to meet new people. She returns to her hometown reluctantly when her twin sister, Scarlett, asks her because Scarlett is pregnant and estranged from her baby's father and needs some emotional support and Rory and Scarlett would do anything for each other. So Rory comes home and she's not particularly jazzed about being back in her hometown. She doesn't have fond memories of being there. She really wanted to get out and never go back. One part of her hometown that surprises her is she runs into Ian, who was basically like in love with her when they were kids. And Rory was kind of like, we're friends, but like, I don't have boyfriends. Like I have fun. And she reconnects with him one night at a bar And maybe now she might have feelings for him, but on the drive home, she hits a creature with her car. And when she gets out to investigate, she is attacked. And yeah, it's not a spoiler alert to say that she is attacked by a werewolf. (laughs) And um, she starts to transform. And it's really a book about vulnerability and rage you know, I think all my books are kind of coming of age stories just instead of adolescence, you know, in your 20s. It's got some some good old fashioned body horror and some dark humor and maybe a little bit of a love story. So, yeah, and it comes out October 4th. See, I, what I love about your books is, and I was thinking about this because we're recording this at the end of April and I was listening to the Reading Glasses podcast, which a mutual friend of ours, Mallory O'Meara, is one of the co-hosts on. And she is reading an advanced reader copy of your book right now. And I know this because I was listening to the podcast. And she said, she's like, 
I'm going to describe the book. I'm, she said, I'm, I'm going to sell the book to all of our listeners in one sentence. Rachel Harrison wrote a lady werewolf novel. And like, and I think about that with the return where it's like Rachel Harrison wrote like, like to like boil it down, he'd be like, wrote like a creepy haunted house novel, which is not at all what it is, but like you could say that and to kind of sell people on it. And then I also love that. Like, I feel like every one of your books is there can be like a, sentence pitch that you could just be like this is what it's about and people be like oh my god i need to know more about that but then like you said there's always going to be things under the surface about like you said vulnerability and relationships and these different things that like i know i love that every one of your books while being terrifying also has these human elements and like these like relationships and these gigantic things going on on the outside but it's also about the people if that makes sense like that's the type of book i like seek out is like Give me the wild shit on the periphery, but let it be about these like people and their relationships. Yeah, I like to write a lot about relationships. Mm-hmm. That's fun for me. And, and, you know, my previous books, it was a lot of female friendship. And there's still female friendship in Such Sharp Teeth. But there's also, you know, a love interest and uh, family relationships. And I'm trying to challenge myself with each book to do something a little bit different mm-hmm. well and you spend so much time on a manuscript like you want to be interested in it personally as the person who's doing it right like yeah that's I think where the like humor in my books comes from like if yeah. I can't if it's all dark then I'm not going to want to sit with it mm-hmm. for however long you need to sit with it so yeah I, I actually found myself doing that in um, my like day job writing I work for a tech company and I write about a engineering insights platform not the most exciting stuff to write about so I'll be writing these reports and I can like feel myself coming unhinged and like I'll be writing this copy that I know it's like the zero draft I'm thinking about it as I was working on my manuscript too I was like this is zero draft this copy probably isn't going to stay in here but it's also not going to be like the reason people don't read those reports I'll be writing this copy and I can just feel myself losing my mind a little bit and then I'll send it to my manager and she'll be like, hey, what time did you write this, these last four paragraphs? I used to, I used to work in, for like a big corporate bank and I was an administrative assistant in the legal department. And I remember I'd been there for a few weeks and we were doing like an office move. And I made like a real, too real, I like to move it, move it joke in an email. And I got home and I told my husband, it's like... Nobody responded to my joke. And he was like, well, and he was like not paying attention, doing something else. And he was like, well, maybe it wasn't very funny. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got, I was like, I'm funny. And so I worked there for like four years and I would just do like little stuff that no one would comment on. But like, I, like the joke was for me. Yeah. Like (laughs) there was one day where I printed out pictures of, there's like a lot of pictures on the internet of kids pressing their face into glass. Mm-hmm. And so I like printed out a bunch of those pictures and I just taped it to the inside of glass on people's desks. Mm-hmm. And it was just funny the amount of people who were like laughed about it. And then the people who just totally ignored. It. Yeah. I, <laughs> so that's literally me. And like these reports that I'm writing is there, I, there was one that I, it was like a 20 page report about like, upskilling data and like for people who are interested in it it's very interesting but I was getting bored by the end of it and I wrote this like 
three paragraph kind of like a horror story thing i was like upskilling isn't like a boogeyman and then i got really really visceral about like what it's like slashing your like tech workforce and everything and some one of the people was like i like where you're going with this but maybe not and then someone else was like okay clearly you're losing your mind and this is very funny and then a third person was just like please delete this and write the copy that you know yeah. i was like all right okay everybody Corporate, when you're a creative, like a creative person in a like corporate environment, especially for me, I didn't like I walked in, I wasn't like in this job out of college. Like I was work, I'd worked in TV, I'd worked in publishing and to kind of like shift gears and come into this environment. It's like, oh, this vibe is different. (laughs) I need to adapt to what people are doing here. Mm -hmm. Just suppress my personality as much as possible so I keep my job. Yeah. And to be fair, like the place that I'm working is wonderful. And they actually like they hired me because of like the creativity and kind of like different way that I look at things. And most projects, they're like super, like I wrote a blog about like software development and I, but the theme of it was the Great British Bake Off. And like, they're totally cool with me doing stuff like that. But there are some reports that. where they're like, we need like 15% less Adam in this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair. Okay. okay, fair. Yeah. Those people are not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny. It's just a funny thing. I have a very important question for you. Okay. So in our last conversation, you told me, and I want to say this verbatim so I don't get oh, it wrong. God. No, no, it's great. You told me that The Shining was like the drunk uncle of The Return. So what is the drunk uncle of such sharp teeth? Maybe an American werewolf in London. Okay. Uh, I would say, like, I kind of, when I was writing Such Sharp Teeth, it felt a lot like Ginger Snaps meets like Fleabag mm-hmm. kind of. That's but, an awesome. That's an awesome side by side. By the way, that's a really. <laughs> you should put that on the back of the book. That's fantastic. <laughs> Ginger Snaps is obviously a very big influence, and I, I really loved Fleabag and just the balance of a character who is really comfortable in her sexuality, but like also underneath it all vulnerable, but. And the sister dynamic in both Fleabag and Such Sharp Teeth. And obviously the like really hot love story. There's no hot priest in <laughs> Such Sharp Teeth, but I just thought it was such a perfectly executed love story. But if I had to say like drunk uncle, it would probably be an American werewolf in London just because I watched that transformation scene like mm-hmm. 10,000 times. Um, it's so, so good and so visceral and just the best effects ever. Um, and so that I watched a lot and that was like a big influence and tonally kind of, you know, horror, but a little bit of comedy and brutal, but not too heavy. Yeah. I'll go with an American werewolf in London. Love it. Yeah. But like the, like a classy drunk uncle, like he's yeah. like drunk off gin. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, and like, I think, the Shining was like straight up drunk uncle. Like yeah. he smells like, you know, Budweiser <laughs> and, you know, whiskey. Yeah. This this guy is a little bit, there are different kinds of uncles. We all know. <laughs> yeah, we know the different, we know the different, like the fun at parties drunk uncle versus yeah. the like, don't let that uncle come over to Christmas. He's going to ruin the holiday. Yeah. Like the tree's going down. He's going yeah. down. Exactly. There might be a fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, last question for you. I'm having everybody kind of end 
the conversations with giving a recommendation. It could be a book, music, food, movie. Um, I'm not going to let you use the Twilight Zone because that's what we talked about for the bulk of this conversation. But like, what is just like a piece of media that you're really loving lately that you think people should check out? I am a Mitski super fan. So Mm -hmm. I would recommend her latest album, Laurel Hell, which I listen to on repeat, particularly Stay Soft. That's probably one of my favorite her songs. Um, But yeah, any of her albums, I'm a huge Mitski super fan. Um, And then I also watched... Breaking Bad for the first time, which it was a little too late. Okay. Uh, but I, I remember watching it, like trying to watch it in my early 20s and being like, this is too stressful. But like now I'm old and I have like other things in my life that are legit stressful. <laughs> like I was like, it's tax season. And like watching Walter White almost get caught by the DEA. I'm like, this is like a nice brain vacation for me. Like, mm-hmm. you think you're stressed, Mr. White? <laughs> you try doing your taxes. So I, if somebody has not yet watched Breaking Bad, you know, at, at some point I had the attitude where I was just like, I can't watch every show. Yeah. But it was worth watching, I would say, particularly in season the second or third episode of season one, there's like something really brutal that happens in a bathtub that I just think is like such bold storytelling and just so gross and wonderful. So that's what I'll recommend. Oh, and then I should do a book too. I have been behind on my, like reading the books that are coming out because Mm -hmm. I get books to blurb. And so I'm like ahead, but also behind at the same time, which is really hard for me as a Virgo. The Hacienda by Isabel Camas. That is a great book that comes out, I think, May. And maybe when this podcast airs, these books will have been out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be out in, in June. So yeah, that's that's perfect. And I'm dying to read The Fervor by Amakatsu. Um, so, somebody, one of my Instagram pals, Tina from TBR, et cetera, she did like a post about it. And she's doing a giveaway copy. And as her friend, I knew I wasn't going to get that giveaway copy. And I was so salty because I was like, oh, my God, how did you get your hands on one of those? Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I have mixed feelings about giveaways because the first giveaway they did for the return, my ex-boyfriend sent me a picture and he's like, I won. And I was like, no, I'm never doing this again. No. I mean, we're on good terms. It wasn't like a great yeah. But I was just like, of all people. Mm-hmm. If you can get, you don't deserve this copy. You go buy one. <laughs> I, I think my favorite example of that is um, there's a young adult author, Ryan LaSala, who is incredible and he'll be on the podcast too. Uh, he, for his first book, he accidentally won his own Goodreads giveaway. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think I should get this. I'm pretty sure I have 15 arcs behind me of this. But yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah I'm right there with you with Omakatsu. I would. I would read a phone book version of a book that they created. Like I'm just so on board for the new one. Uh, well, Rachel, I was so excited when you said yes to do this and even more excited when you said you want to talk about the Twilight Zone. It's such a unique and like interesting part of like our culture and like the stuff that it's influenced is just so wide ranging and I see version, you know, aspects of it in your writing. And I was so excited to get to talk about it with you, but you know, more importantly, just thank you for saying yes and deciding to do this with me. Of course I would chat with you anytime. And yeah, the twilight zone is just, it's so enduring and to have a work that's just as relevant today as it was back then is both 
heartening and heartbreaking at the same time. But um, uh, for anyone who hasn't watched it, I I highly recommend recommend it. It holds up completely. And it's amazing that something that, you know, came out so long ago, you can watch an episode with a twist and still be shocked. And like the first episode I ever saw, I have the beholder, you can know what the twist is and have it still be really powerful and scary. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.